Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I like this Sunday because this is the uh, Disney Marathon race day, which means Jonathan Smith, our former associate pastor, goes to run in it. Um, so last year I got to preach on this Sunday, and this year uh, our acting associate pastor, his wife, Stephanie, is there coaching him, so I get to step in and preach as well. So I've come to like this Sunday. Um, but it's good to be uh, here with y'all. Today we continue our second week of our New Year series, uh, Revival is uh, Faith as Wesley Lived It. And last week we began talking about this man, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement in the 1700s and how he began a revival. Uh, we talked about his childhood and how he was raised with a, a love of Jesus. We also talked about uh, starting that spark of revival within ourselves and what it might be that gets us to that point of having revival in our hearts. Uh, it might be something small or something major like the story of, of John Wesley who was stuck in his house when it caught on fire and they had to make a human ladder to save him. And when they saved him, his, his mother spoke the words from Zechariah that he was a brand plucked from the fire. And I can tell you, uh, you know you live in a family that reads the Bible often when your mom's go-to verse after a crisis is from Zechariah. So, but today we're going to uh, be talking about the college years of, of John Wesley from the ages of uh, 17 to 32-ish. Um, John Wesley went to Oxford University, and if you don't know this about Oxford, uh, there's many different colleges at Oxford University. So Wesley attended Christ Church College, um, where he would receive his, receive his bachelor's degree and his master's degree, and also be ordained as well. Um, it, just a few fun facts. Christ Church College was actually the inspiration for the layout of Hogwarts, which is the school in Harry Potter. Um, I thought that was pretty neat. I'm kind of a Harry Potter fan. Um, as well. So, um, but he earned his bachelor's degree in 1724 and his master's degree in, in 1726 was actually elected as a fellow of Lincoln College, which is another college within Oxford University. Now, fellows were uh, professors, instructors, tutors, uh, mentors, and they also governed a, a particular college. So he received housing, meals, and annual salary. For being a fellow, uh, they were also expected to do research. Wesley was a lecturer for Greek and philosophy. Now, most people don't think of Wesley as this Oxford professor, um, but he actually referred to himself as a fellow of Lincoln College for most of his life. Um, it's unusual to think that an Oxford, Oxford professor of Greek and philosophy uh, started a revival, uh, but it points to something very important about Methodist um, and an in uh, the revival that he led, um, Methodism was often described uh, as a thinking person's church. And I, I don't mean that as an insult for anybody that wasn't Methodist, but that's the way it was described. Uh, Presbyterians and Episcopalians actually thought of themselves uh, in this way too. Uh, but what set Methodists apart was that they combined the intellectual approach to faith of the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians with this passionate evangelical approach like the Baptist. Um, Norman McLean uh, notes in his novel, A River Runs Through It, uh, the main character has a father and he's a Presbyterian father. And in the book, he describes Methodist as Baptist who can read. read. Now, I don't know who he was trying to insult slash compliment by saying that, 
Um, now, it's not to say that there are not smart Baptists or Baptists who can't read, because there definitely are. Um, but Baptists were known for, for their passion and their zeal, while Presbyterians and Episcopalians were known for their intellect. And Methodists held these two together. So there is our, our history lesson on John Wesley for today. Um, I talked about a, a river runs through it. I, I enjoy reading. I love uh, and it matters really what mood I'm in, whether I'm going to read a book or an article or a blog post or, you know, it's just kind of whatever I'm, I'm feeling on the day. But I recently came across a story of a woman who lived in the same New England town as Paul Newman. Do you guys know who Paul Newman is? Cool hand Luke. For young people, he was the voice of Doc Hudson on the movie Cars. Um, but she awoke uh, very early on a Sunday morning one time. And uh, she went to take a long walk to go bird watching. And when she got back home, it was just 8 a.m. and the rest of her family was still sleeping. So she decided to run into town to gratify that craving for something cold and sweet. You guys know what I'm talking about? Ice cream. So she went into town to the local bakery, which also doubled as the ice cream parlor uh, in town there. And she knew exactly what she was going to order. She was going to order a double scoop of mocha chocolate chip ice cream. And I, I think I hear some people's stomachs uh, rumbling right now. So when she res, uh, arrived at this bakery slash ice cream shop, she discovered, to her dismay, the only customer in the ice cream shop was Paul Newman. He was sitting at the counter, he was eating a donut, and he was having coffee. She thought to herself, you know what, this is no big deal. Paul Newman, it's his town too. He deserves just as much privacy as everyone else. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to get my ice cream. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, he's just another person. And that's what she did. You know, she walked in. She nodded to Paul Newman. She put her $2 on the counter, ordered her ice cream, the two scoops of mocha chocolate chip. And after she completed the transaction, she walked out. She got to her car, and she realized that all she was holding was the change in her hand. So she went back in thinking that she would find the ice cream cone in you know, those little plastic holders with the holes in it, you know, or maybe the clerk would be holding it out, you know, and then they would have a laugh at it. And she got there and uh, she turned and she saw Paul Newman and what she wrote as uh, a wonderfully friendly, warm grin broke out onto his face and he told her, you put the cone in your purse. So John Wesley, I, I believe, struggled in his early years to live a life that was uh, in perfect balance with this understanding of the scope of the love of Christ. You know, too often in, in our haste to present uh, the best possible image of ourselves, like this woman in the bakery slash ice cream parlor, uh, we, we put our ice cream cone in our purse and don't realize what we're doing. And Wesley described the struggle of putting one's best self forward as being an almost Christian. A, a few decades after moving through school, uh, John Wesley would write in his journals. He, he wrote, the next six or seven years, that's why he was in school, uh, the next six or seven years were spent at school where outward restraints being removed, I was much more negligent than before, even of outward duties and almost continually guilty of outward sins, which I knew to be such, though they were not scandalous in the eyes of the world. However, I still read scriptures, and I said my prayers morning and night. And what I now hoped to be saved by was, one, not being so bad as other people, two, having still a kindness of religion, and three, reading the Bible 
going to church and saying my prayers. Now, doing just these things, and this is what John Wesley was getting at, doing just these things will not save us. Doing these things are marks of a person who has been saved, but those things by themselves will not save us. It reminds me uh, of my favorite gospel, if I had a gospel. If you don't know, in the Christian tradition, there are four books in the New Testament that we call the Gospels, the first four of New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Mark, there is this overarching theme that runs through the entire book. And that theme is, watch out. And that's what Jesus tells to so many people. Now, Jesus doesn't tell it to the poor, the disenfranchised, the people who are longing and searching for salvation. Jesus tells it to who, what we would classify as almost Christians, or maybe something as religious people. It was the people who thought that they had religion all figured out, and they were doing it right. And so Jesus would tell them, watch out. And when Wesley was going through school, he thought he had everything figured out. But instead of being almost Christian, Wesley challenged himself, as well as his listeners later on, to become altogether Christians. Now let me clarify that word altogether. It does not mean like I have everything altogether. It actually means altogether as being holy or fully Christian. In his sermon, John Wesley actually wrote a sermon titled Almost Christian. And in it, he asked this series of questions. And actually, I read this sermon this week. Uh, this actual sermon in the introduction talked about this one part where Wesley asked a lot of rhetorical questions. And he said, uh, the introduction said that he read it with great fervor and great enthusiasm. And I want to read those questions to you today, and hopefully I could do John Wesley justice in this. So as I read this, uh, open up your hearts and your minds to what Wesley said in his sermon, Almost Christian. He said, is the love of God shed in your heart? Can you cry out, my God and my all? Do you desire nothing but him? Are you happy in God? Is he your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? And is this commandment written on your heart, that he who loveth God love his brother also? Do you then love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love every man, even your enemies, even the enemies of God as your own soul, as Christ loved you? Yea, dost thou believe that Christ loved thee and gave himself for thee? Hast thou faith in his blood? Believest thou the Lamb of God hath taken away thy sins and cast them as a stone into the depths of the sea? That he hath blotted out the handwriting that was against thee, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Hast thou indeed redemption through his blood, even the remission of thy sins? And doth his spirit bear witness with thy spirit that thou art a child of God? Wesley longed to be holy. You know, having a child um, has uh, taught me many things that I thought I already knew. Uh, my daughter, who will be two in March, Eileen Reese, last night taught me, I think, the meaning of what longing is. Uh, it was after her bath, and I was in the kitchen doing dishes because our nighttime routine is well, either Megan or myself go and give Eileen Reese a bath, and the other person goes to the kitchen to do the dishes, and we kill two birds with one stone that way. It's worked out pretty good for us so far. So I'm in the kitchen, 
And Eileen Reese gets through with her bath, and she comes running into the kitchen because she's doing her cute little, I'm a baby and I'm naked and I got my frozen blanket on. And she comes running in, and she goes back to put on her, her pajamas. And all of a sudden, I hear my Megan, I hear uh, Megan calling my daughter, said, Eileen Reese, come back here. And I hear Eileen Reese running across the living room to the kitchen. You could hear her little feet on the floor, pop, 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 pop. And she runs in there, and she is still pajama-less at this time. Um, and she comes running in there, and she's saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I said, yes. And I squatted down. I got down on eye level with her. And she holds up her pacifier, which we only give her at bedtime. She holds up her pacifier, and she tells me, this is my path. And then she turns around, and she runs off, uh, leaving me just still squatted in the living room. And at that moment, I completely understood what longing was. Because my daughter had something in her mind, and she wanted to tell daddy about it. And that was, the, that was her pacifier. That is what longing was. This desire and, and enthusiasm to go and do what was on your mind. And John Wesley had this longing to be holy. Now, Peter reminds us of Wesley's own conclusion, actually later on in the first chapter, in verse 21... It says it's because of this sacrificed Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified that you trust God, that you know you have a future in God. You know, Wesley himself even admitted his own feeling of inadequacy when it came to trusting God fully. Yet Wesley had a deep desire to do everything for the glory of God. There was this welling up in him a longing for holiness. And that longing, I believe, is echoed in yet another passage from 1 Peter as well that says, As obedient children, let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. We don't have to put our, our cones into our purses. Our faith in Christ informs us that in Christ we are all together. Christians. The challenge is to trust God enough to transform us from being almost Christian to being altogether Christian. Again, the question is then, how do we become holy? How do we learn to trust God? How do we stop ourselves from putting our ice cream cones into our purses? As our scripture tells us today, actually uh, the New Revised Standard Version that I've been reading all week, um, tells us that we should discipline ourselves. Now, every time I say the dreaded D word, chills run up my back. Um, December 29th was six years since my father passed away from cancer. And growing up, my father would sit me down and he would tell me this about everything. It didn't matter if it was school, sports, friendships, any kind of relationships. He actually told me this about playing video games one time as well. He said, Jared, you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. And reading the scripture all week, all I could hear was my dad's voice in my head saying, Jared, you've got to be disciplined. Jared, you've got, and this was his motion right here, you've got to be disciplined. And I, I, I dread hearing the D word so much that I think I would rather hear someone dragging their nails down a chalkboard or listen to a song where every fifth note is a flat note. Um, but if we strive for anything, 
We have to be disciplined in what we do. And Wesley strived for holiness. We should strive for holiness. And Wesley was very disciplined at how he did it. He did it by rising at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning for private prayer, reading meditation on scripture. He fasted two days a week until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He met with others to study the Bible and other Christian writings, and he insisted that those within his study groups hold each other accountable. He attended public worship. He received Holy Communion at least once a week. And he purposefully pursued acts of compassion and mercy for the poor, the prisoners, and the elderly. And he strove to live a life of simplicity. He did it through disciplining himself. Now, though these spiritual practices, Wesley, and through these spiritual practices, Wesley invited the Holy Spirit to change him. And to be restored by the Spirit, it made into what God intends us to be. Humans who wholly love God, completely love God, and love their neighbors as they love themselves. According to Wesley, the very meaning of religion is the recovery of God's image in us. Wow, how beautiful is that? The meaning of religion is the recovery of God's image in us. My dream car is a 1967 Ford Mustang Fastback. It's got to be black, two white racing stripes going down the middle, chrome wheels, those meaty-looking tires. You guys know what I'm talking about. I want black leather interior with white stitching. And the exhaust has to have that, that deep rumble, not that, not that dirty wop, 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 wop sound. I want that deep rumble, that kind of rumble that if you, if you heard it, you thought that there might be a thunderstorm coming, but also if you heard it, you thought, man, that car sounds like it looks good. Um, on a side note, it also has to have a pretty good sound system in it as well. Um, but to have a car that looks like that, especially now, a 67, now in the year 2016, would probably require us to restore it. You know, we might have to take something that isn't perfect, something that's not the perfect car, and put some work into it and get it there. You know, we'd have to see it not as it is, but as it could be. What a powerful picture of how God views us. You know, the, the church can be seen as God's salvage yard. And he sees what we could be. God sees what we could be. Our task is to invite him in to restore us. As we do, little by little, he strips us down to the bare metal and then begins perfectly restoring us. All of us know what it feels like to have that inadequate faith. We know when we're running on empty, we know how embarrassing it is when the Paul Newmans of this world tells us that our ice cream cones are in our purses. We know what it means to be a junked Ford Mustang in the salvage yard. But we often fail to remember that God does not choose to see us as inadequate or running on empty. Or for that matter, junk cars in a salvage yard. He instead chooses to see us for who we really are. 
beloved children fully restored through Christ. Not as almost Christians, but as all together Christians. I want to ask Bill to come up and, and uh, as we move into a, a time of communion. And as Bill comes up, I want to ask you, do you believe it? Are you willing to see yourself as God sees you? Are you willing to pursue, as John Wesley pursued, being an altogether Christian instead of an almost Christian? Do you want revival in your hearts right now? If so, then pray this quick prayer with me. Take me, Lord, my heart, my life, my all, and make me what you want me to be. In your most precious and holy name we pray. Amen.